So, Ollie, this week we've done a, a haunted house story. One of, you know, the, the best kind of sub-genres of horror ever. Most consistent, you know. Um, you kind of know where you're going to get into when it comes to, to these sorts of stories. But my take on the films that we watch, the Amityville horror, it's a simple horror. I think the 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 gist of it is... It's kind of a story about a guy who buys a house and then the mortgage repayments, the mortgage payments turn him into a murderous asshole. That that is that is the Amityville horror in you know, like if you were to to describe it mm. briefly. Is that is that right or am I off somewhere here? No, that's that's pretty pretty accurate. Um because when one thinks about one's own experiences, one can definitely say that paying off a mortgage is one of the more monstrous experiences. <laughs> so I've got my own example of my own parents mm-hmm. when they were paying off one of their mortgages and that was a very traumatic episode in my life. Yeah. And and then I had my own experience. I was a homeowner mm-hmm. uh, for one year of my life mm-hmm. <laughs> and now I'm renting prob- probably for that reason and also because property prices in the city of Melbourne are way beyond anything someone like me could aspire to uh, afford it for the time being. And for that year of my life, I actually felt that I was, I, 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 by the end of it, I felt like I had a split personality. Ah, well, that, that uh, yeah. is kind of what we see in yeah, these movies, exactly. in this series of films, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, have, you, have you ever, so, okay, so Ali... And I, we, we've watched uh, the original um, Amityville horror film, mm-hmm. right? Mm. Uh, and then we also watched the remake. Uh, so when you were looking up information about the Amityville horror, did you, um, did you happen to search something like IMDb, you know, like a movie database just for films that included the word Amityville. Mm. And there is so many of them. There are a gazillion of them. So, all right, here we go. I'm going to just type in Amityville into, into Letterboxd, right? Uh, this is one of my, my favorite uh, favorite sites to use. Like if you're a film buff, you probably know about it. Let's just look at the results. Okay, so we've got the Amityville Horror. This is the first thing that comes up is the 2005 version, Hmm. uh, which we did watch. We've got Amityville, The Awakening. We've got then the Amityville Horror, the 1979 version, which we also watched. Amityville 2, The Possession, right? And if part Hmm. two is about the possession, then what was part one about? (laughs) Amityville 3D. Yay. So this is 1983. Um, 3D in 19... 83 yeah That's you did, you, you did the uh the the red the With red the glasses. blue glasses um, that uh that you had to return right yes uh yes. in a giant bag so yes. that they could give them out to other people we've got the amityville horror let's see uh what else have we have we got here um i remember like just some ridiculous films um you know the amityville it was something like the amityville uh clown or i don't know anything that you can imagine uh that could come after the word amityville there's a film 
Mm-hmm. And I just found it to be a versatile property. I mean, Amityville Dollhouse, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amityville 1992, It's About Time. Ugh. <laughs> it's got a giant clock on the uh, as, as part of the, the art. Um, Amityville, The Evil Escapes. I mean, the evil kind of was out there anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Amityville, A New Generation, Am- The Amityville Curse, The Amityville Murders. I mean, what were the what? other Amityvilles about? Mm-hmm. My Amityville Horror. I guess it's been personalized. The Amityville Haunting. Well, that's a bit redundant. <laughs> the Amityville Terror. That too. The Amityville Asylum. Okay, Ooh, I guess. Hmm. We've got Amityville Island <laughs> with a giant shark on it. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. The, shark. the Amityville Playhouse. Yeah, we've got Sharknado and Amityville, That's basically. Good. The Amityville Playhouse, Amityville Death House, Amityville Exorcism, hmm. Amityville No <laughs> No Escape, Amityville Toy Box. Okay, now this is a great one. We might have to see this. Amityville Karen. Karen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Yeah, Amityville Karen. <laughs> Um, and the list goes on and on and on. So this this is just a you know it's it's one mm-hmm. of those properties that is uh yeah. it's just so versatile. And 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 all these films um the the posters feature the house the front that iconic front yeah that they, with the eye windows yes of the for the attic um yeah uh, floor yeah I, I mean there's still a lot of potential right the Amityville restaurant the Amityville. Uh, university, the Amityville, uh, <laughs> I, I, and I think it's. Um, I mean, I haven't seen all of them, but, but, but so generally, the assumption is that there is an inherent evil yes. in the physical environment, yeah, and that's what they all have, isn't it? Um, yeah, and that this evil is um, difficult to explain its mm-hmm. its origin, and I think that that's one of the interesting things about this this franchise is that is the ambiguity about the origin of horror of the house. Um, Because uh, I'm I'm in the book, uh, the Jay Anson book that comes out in 1977, sort of very vaguely hints at some possibilities of why this place is so evil. Yes. Um, But it doesn't, it can't really, the the book itself doesn't accept any of them because the book tries to be a serious nonfiction work of journalism. Mm -hmm. So when when it comes out in, you know, 1977, it's considered to be a factual book, a nonfiction book, like a true crime uh, work or, you know, true horror book. I guess in the vein of like uh, Truman Capote's in, in Cold Blood, yeah, uh, a nonfiction novel or something like that. So it can't be so ambitious about offering a, offering a theory as to why the house might be evil. The one that a lot of people know about, which is actually very very minor in the book, is that it's built on you know Native American burial ground, which was a popular theme. Right? Yeah, we saw that in in Poltergeist as well, right? Um, yeah. They were supposed to remove the bodies, but they didn't, and just built the suburbs on, mm-hmm. you know, on top of a, a cemetery, essentially. Yeah, yeah, and and that that's um, you know it's a very dodgy um, you know premise you know for all sorts of reasons. Um, in 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 the in the book, and I think in the movie, that's that theory is actually brushed aside. Then they come up with the idea that maybe this was a home of a character called John Ketchum. Yeah, yeah, who was. Um, you know, I guess you call him a frontier uh, pioneer or or mm-hmm. mass murderer, depending on how you want to see it. Um, I, I think those two 
<laughs> I, I think they uh, required some of the same qualities. That, those that's two. that's right. But 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 I think so. That and that get that obviously that theory gets a lot of airing in a 2005 film, doesn't it? Where you it actually have, see a you know a figure of of this evil uh, colonial character who's apparently killed and tortured a lot of Native Americans yes. in this very place. Um, but that 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 still remains vague as to why this has happened because that theory is totally disproven by 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 the people who actually take this story very seriously who think mm-hmm. this is this actually happened so so i guess i've got a question for you um jason okay. before we go on um so there's two questions about the you know truth of all of this right. one of them is that do you think kathy and george lutz were telling the truth about what happened but i guess there's before that there's a deeper question is that do you and i and other people listening to this believe in haunted houses hmm, okay um yeah it, it's kind of uh difficult to uh to 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 know where to start with that one there, there were a couple of, of key lines in both of the films um about places right houses mm-hmm. as objects so in the first one george mentions you know, houses don't have memories and that's what uh that's how they convince themselves that, yeah, there have been uh, all of these these murders in this house, but uh, but it's cheap, <laughs> right? The market price is one hundred twenty or should be, but we're being charged eighty. So houses don't have memories, therefore, uh, this house is is okay. And in the two thousand five remake, uh, George, played by uh, Ryan Ryan Reynolds, um. He he says something that is uh I don't know I think it's 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 quite trite. Uh, he says houses don't kill people, people kill people. Like, oh, okay. But <laughs> well, that's paraphrasing the uh, defense of gun ownership, isn't it? That's- yeah, pretty much, pretty <clears throat> much. And then he says the, there's no bad houses, just bad people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is yes. I don't know. If someone said that to you, you'd kind of roll your eyes. So, um. The the question um, of whether or not I believe in haunted houses. Mm. Hmm. You were trying to get it, get out of answering that, weren't you? No, no, because I brought it back. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, haunted in the sense that uh, that that we see in the Amityville horror. I don't know. I'm not willing to to say that you know something like that is is just not possible um i have no idea but if you were to ask me if houses have a certain energy if places have a certain energy i would answer yes Mm. and maybe it's the case that the energy that that we get from a certain place makes it feel haunted or we bring our own sense of of hauntingness with us uh to to such places Mm. Mm. um that's that sort of thing i can i can imagine um, mm. I mean, I've certainly been places that kind of make me feel uncomfortable uh, for whatever mm. reason. Probably because I've seen too many haunted house films, and the <laughs> and the place reminds mm. me of uh, something that I've seen in a film. But then there are just those places uh, where something uh, something bad has happened. You know, something bad, historically bad, has happened, and I'm I'm aware of it. Mm. Um, or places that just uh you know how the shadows sort of cast themselves upon the walls or 
to have a, like a creepy tree. I mean, there's a reason we see trees in horror films, right? To bring up mm-hmm. poltergeist again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we see that in Amityville Horror too, right? A tree that kind of comes through the w- through the window. Um, so, yeah, I think I believe in in haunting in that sense, in the sense that places can have a certain kind of energy about them uh and in you may have to spend more energy you know uh spend more of an effort uh to exist in that place without Mm. feeling i don't know something unpleasant Mm. Mm. how about you um well yes i mean i I agree with everything you say um and i'm you know being a strong materialist who doesn't believe in that stuff i can actually <laughs> say i've had a couple of experiences that haven't made me believe that you know houses could be haunted but have made me believe that i have to respond to them as though they're properly haunted and mm. i have to get out <laughs> as, as, uh, <laughs> best line say. of both of these films exactly get because out. at the end of it you just can't stay Right. Um, for whatever reason, a, a place becomes unlivable yeah. because of its atmosphere and feel. And what, what the, the place we used to live before uh, a house we're currently living in now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be like the start of a horror movie. We, we, we go into this very lovely old Art Deco house and it's a lot cheaper than it should be <laughs> for okay. to rent. Yeah. And it's right next to a cemetery. Right, the Brighton right. Cemetery. Now, me being the kind of person I am, the kind of person who likes to have a horror podcast with your good self, <laughs> I, I like the aesthetics of a cemetery. <laughs> yeah. So I'm saying, great, it's awesome. From you know, from the kitchen window, I can see all these gravestones. Yay. Well, no one's going to build in front of you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, and so I actually, you know, like that. And, you know, gave me a place to go for walks and, you know, yeah. my, write my moody romantic poetry. Yeah. Um, but um, after a while, it just became clear that there was nothing we could do to keep this house warm. Wow. Um, that we had this um, heater, uh, gas, old gas heater in our living room, mm-hmm. and we would have it on full blast. And the bedroom right next to this living room was freezing cold. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then there was mold growing in the bedroom. Interesting. Which we tried to get rid of, and it wouldn't go away. Now yeah. there is clearly a scientific explanation for our from our end, which is the the way the windows were facing. It was not a uh, north, north facing, facing house, therefore yeah. it wasn't getting enough sunlight. Right. Now, that, that, that's a very good scientific explanation. But if you're stuck in that house, <laughs> no yeah. amount of scientific explanation is going to help you. You actually feel it in your bones. And finally, um, one night, you know, I was feeling a bit insomniac or, or I woke up, I, you know, I get out of bed to go to the, uh, to the toilet. And as I'm walking through this dark, cold living room towards the corridor that leads to the bathroom, mm-hmm. I see this woman come out of the dark corridor. And she's wearing a white flowy dress. Mm-hmm. And she's very, she's got a very pale um, skin. And she's walking towards me, and I'm thinking, okay, dream, hallucination, whatever. I look again, and she's gone. And I look again, no, she's not gone. She's walking straight towards me. And I started to scream. Well, yeah. It was my partner. (laughs) 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 And it's kind of funny. At that moment, I thought, my God, you know. I mean, for all intents and purposes, I've seen a ghost. (laughs) It happens to be a very kind of... uh, 
you know, uh, unsettled uh, partner of mine who says, what's wrong with you? Yeah. But, I'm, but sh- a- I'm sure she didn't appreciate that. <laughs> no, she didn't. <laughs> yeah. You, you kind of looked like a ghastly figure to me. I'm sorry about all the screaming I did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you ever seen The Shining? You looked kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and, and, and I was reading, and it's kind of interesting you say that too. Maybe the imaginary of a haunted house and influences the way we respond. So mm. for, in my case, this happens really around the time when I'm reading and Haunting of Hill House. Uh, yeah. And a whole bunch of other books that are kind of preparing my mind for that sort of experience, which is totally relevant to the whole Amityville horror narrative because this, um, uh, the book, the movie, but also the experience of Lutzes in that house happens yes. in the context of a huge boom in demonic possession narratives mm, in, in yeah. American culture. Yeah. So, you know, it just comes out of the exorcist, comes after the exorcist, and by then you've had a few very successful novels about haunted houses, um, uh, like, you know, uh, Richard Matheson's Hell House and, 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 and things like that, uh, burnt offerings. So, you know, people are kind of receptive to this whole idea, but, but, I, but I think the Amityville yeah. uh, horror, um, um, you know, narrative, the experiences of the Lotzes, assuming they're authentic experiences, we can talk right. about that too, because some people say they made the whole thing up to make money. Uh, assuming that their experiences are authentic, those coupled with the book and then the movie that comes out in 79 um, really transform this genre, make it something that is much more believable and much less fictional and could could happen to anyone. Yeah, yeah. And I I think that's... uh Maybe one of the key things that that makes this film work the the idea that it could happen to anyone. I, I think we've all been, or many of us have been, in that situation where you are you're out looking for some place to live, um, and and you, you you're kind of dependent on your own sense, your own way to read a place, your own ability to read a place. Um, but also the 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 real estate agents, <laughs> right? And we trust yes. real estate agents probably as much as we trust used car salespeople, right? Like it's mm. you know. Um, I was gonna say lawyers, but yeah. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> all um, professions that that deal with a certain mm. um, certain challenges uh, to image perception, I guess. Mm. I mean, and and many many professions have this but um i think very few are as maligned as as uh, some of the professions that we've mentioned mm. and and we see this in these films right you know they they they're this wonderful couple um you know it's a newlywed couple in the first film we've got uh james brolin and and margot kidder um you, you forget that you might have had a thing for margot kidder until you watch this film again, you know, I'm so used to seeing her as Lois Lane, Lois Lane yeah. in the early uh, super, some of the early Superman films. Um, but goodness, you talk about a power couple. Mm. I mean, Margot Kidder and, and, you know, James Brolin with his, his very few people uh, have a mane, you know, like a lion. He's got that going full on. Mm. It's like, wow, awesome hair. Um, but as a couple, they just they just look great. So they're a couple in real life at the time. 
Were they? Uh, no, I'm asking. No, I don't. I uh, no. well, not not that I know of, and we're not going to put that no, out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're a newlywed couple, and they are inspecting this house, right? That's kind of how the uh, you know what happens early on in in the film, um, and Margot Kidder says, you know, but honey, eighty thousand dollars. Might as well be $800,000. I mean, and now we're like $80,000 for a house. I don't care if it's haunted or <laughs> what. I mean, yes, please. Gateway to hell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, gateway to hell. I mean, in in the sort of modern day property market, it, that's that would be the catchphrase on the listing, you know. Uh, you know, fat fabulous you know gateway to hell property you know <laughs> on sale sale for only one million dollars right uh, it's a money maker you can invite people to uh yeah. to to go to the gateway of <laughs> um so and it's interesting because they already knew about the murders in the house mm. um and they know that the murders having taken place in the house is why they can afford the house in the first place so here the real estate agent we suppose um is it has been kind of honest with them, right? Yes. And in the 2005 remake, uh, it doesn't seem that the real estate agent is being very forthcoming. Let's say, mm. um, so they're they they they've gone to see the house, right? Um, and the real estate agent just kind of you know they're like, oh, why is why is the uh, the the house so cheap right so george george lutz um he asks well yeah what's the catch right? mm-hmm. essentially what's the catch that, that's such a natural question right anything you buy that is less than you know much lower than like the suggested retail price or something like that or the going price or the market price you go what's the catch especially with something like a house or a car right yes like if you can get like a like a porsche for like you know Two hundred and fifty-one dollars. Right. Not only does that extra one dollar bother you, you're like, "Why two fifty-one? But you're also going. There's no way that a Porsche can be two hundred fifty-one dollars. Right. You pay for it, and the model of a Porsche arrives. Right. Um, yeah, like a toy model. So George is correct when he he's right in asking. You know, what's the catch here? Why is this house so cheap? And the agents, <laughs> the agents, like, there was a tragedy. Right. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, lots of things are tragic. Marriages end. That's mm. tragic. You know, um, y- you have uh, a bad dessert. That's tragic. Your your McDonald's <laughs> fries are cold. Like you didn't get the fresh fries, and they didn't p- put enough salt on them. That's kind of tragic. This is different. And then she goes, mm, a murder. Okay. Mm. Now we're getting to the sense of how tragic this is, and 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 what the catch is. But even that's not fully honest. And then she goes, she's like several murders. <laughs> and then she's like a family. <laughs> sort of like, okay. All right. Now we're getting into, you know, why this place is so uh, is so cheap. It escalates very quickly, right? Yeah. Um, it, you know, that sort of difference in honesty there is I, I found very interesting um, in between the original film uh, and and the remake but you know getting back to the point of of one of the things that makes this film 
I don't know, just so uh, watchable, I guess, something that 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 uh, it it speaks to you <laughs> without saying get out um, <laughs> is you know this uh, the idea that we many of us have been in that situation where we need to suss out a place very quickly um, and we're worried about what might have happened there and we see that happening to this this family a family that's not a tr- uh, you know I, I guess in the 1970s um, would not have been uh, you know a, a traditional family I suppose yeah right because they're, they're a blended family that's right, right. yes and, and it's kind of interesting when you say that, like the, the comparing the um, attitude of the uh, real estate person between the two films, because another big difference between them, maybe maybe the biggest difference, I'd be interested to know if you think so too, is that is the attitude towards this blended family. Mm, yeah. In the 1977 version, there there is a little bit of tension oh, between, it's yeah. between the new father and his non-biological children. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, he says, um, he says you know, George um, um, slash uh, James Brolin says, oh, I wish they would call me dad instead of, you know, George. Yeah. But, but you know, things aren't so bad. Right. In the second 2005 movie, that whole tension is at the center of the film. Mm. And and the new kids are given a lot more uh, screen time. Yeah. And they each have their own personality. And the tension, especially between the oldest son. Yes. And and this and new uh, the father. father figure yeah. is, is very central. Whereas in the 1977 film, it is, it is not. And it's kind of interesting. It seems to me that maybe in the 70s, um, this was a much more acceptable situation than yeah. it is in 2005, or perhaps in the 70s, we or you know the, the dominant Western culture was not so aware of um, the the inherent tensions of the situation. Whereas by the start of the 21st century, mm-hmm. there are you know a lot of issues, particularly around quote unquote crisis of masculinity, maybe mm. the fact that some. Some boys may not have an adequate father figure, and in all these tensions, which we see, the George of two thousand and five, played by Ronald, um, not Ronald Ryan Reynolds, mm-hmm. trying desperately to kind of bond with this with this boy and yes. failing miserably, and and that failure becomes like the basis of the horror of the house. It seems to me becomes so, part of it for sure. Yeah. Do, do, do you yeah. see also? Do you also see that sort of this difference uh, between the two films? Well, I thought that in the nineteen. 19- uh, seventy uh, nine was it nineteen seventy nine version? Yeah. Um, we saw a bit of confusion uh, with the real estate agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they were saying that they were newlyweds, but that they're bringing you know three kids, right? Um, and the agent doesn't quite know what to do with that information and she seems a bit perplexed mm-hmm. doesn't know how to think about it so i think that tension or showing that um okay this is a new sort of configuration for the family um you know life does not end when <laughs> someone's first marriage ends mm. uh, i think that tension was there in the 1970s version as well it just played out between uh, the Lutzes as uh, and the real estate agent, as the real estate agent guided them through the house, uh, with the the remake, um, we 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 do certainly see in the beginning, 
George Lutz. Uh, he's trying to to gain rapport with the younger son, and and tells the younger son, "You can call me anything you want." And the younger son is like, "Okay, stink face, doo doo head, or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Mm-hmm. Something that a kid mm-hmm. would do." Um, yeah, we we see that he's actually got a good relationship with the kids. Now, the older son, um, the older son is, we, <laughs> we kind of know that, that he's going through um, a particular sort of difficult period, right? Mm-hmm. He's a teenager. And we get to see some of this, uh, some of the hilarity behind this. I think it's uh, the, the older son is, is Billy, I think is his name. Uh, the Lutzes are like, okay, you know, we're going to go out. And so uh, we're going to have to get a babysitter for you. And so the babysitter comes and, you know, and, and she is kind of, you can imagine the, the, if you, a, a teenage, a teenage child, a teenage kid, teenage child, I don't know, teenage half adult, teenage adultish person, <laughs> um, seeing the babysitter and going, Oh wow. <laughs> right. Um and so we end up uh with a, a kind of a funny scene uh where he is uh smitten with the babysitter. Right. So part of that, that tension I think that we see between the older son and everyone else partly comes from his being a teenager. Yes, yes. Uh and we see that this gets weaponized when they're on the roof of the house and they're trying to get away from George Lutz mm-hmm. as he is chasing them with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, the older son, I think he, he, he grabbed something. I, mean, I think it may have been a, a weather vane or, or something like that, a rusted piece of metal uh, that, that he was able to uh, to grab on the roof and he strikes the, uh, the Ryan Reynolds character, strike, strikes George Lutz, knocking him off the building. And so the it it's it's this older teenager that poses the most sort of risk um mm. for the for George Lutz and and that kind of to me replicates that uh maybe it's 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 cliche but that idea that the the son and the father uh, you know they're always going to go at it yes edipal yeah mm Yes, yes, and, and it is it is interesting that in the um, seventy nine version, this 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 thing doesn't play out, mm-hmm. and 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 I think the babysitter is also very different in the two films, right? Oh, very um, different. Oh goodness, yeah, they're, they're yeah. like they they're like polar opposites. Absolutely. Now, what's interesting is that that babysitter doesn't actually feature in the book, mm. uh, yeah. so it is invented for the purposes of the first movie, mm-hmm. and the second movie, the remake, decides to use her, but they hypersexualize her. Yes. She becomes, the, you know, every teenage boy's dream yeah. and, and she is very friendly with him. And at one point it looks like she might even want to, you know, sexually initiate him or well, something like that. Well, yeah, because like doesn't that. she ask him, have you, yeah, yeah have, like, the, have you ever kissed a girl? That's right. <laughs> he's just she's like child. with tongue and he's like, oh. Yeah, and that, that's of our era, right? I mean, it, it reminds me of that, um, uh, that, that sort of horror comedy uh, film the babysitter yeah, um, yeah which which is that whole thing about a hot babysitter and um, uh, and they're sort of an adolescent boy um and it's interesting that none of that is in all it's all of that tension about the uh, 
I guess the coming-of-age narrative of the children is very mildly suggested in the 79 film, yeah. and it's totally absent from the from the from the book yeah i want to say novel but maybe we can talk about it. i mean what is this book is it a novel or is it a work is it a work of non-fiction but but basically i think the 779 movie is made for an adult audience mm. whereas the 2005 film is really mindful of a certain audience that may be grown up i mean it's an r-rated film or something so it can't be you know seen by children and right. yet it puts the children at the center which kind of um for me um it, it sort of, uh, you know, corresponds with some of my views of contemporary literature and culture, which I feel has been heavily infantilized. I feel like mm, children yeah. go from being margins on the, on the margins of popular culture to becoming to the, the center. center to the center. And now even movies being made for grown-ups are really made for children or the inner child of the grown-up or something like that isn't isn't that uh the case with with life in general though like i mm. i mm. remember being a child and um certainly in a room full of adults i had my place yes which was certainly not the center mm. um whereas now i get the feeling that you know the children uh you know want to hang out with the adults and they're allowed to to do that right mm. uh and to express themselves and and you know their opinions etc cetera, etc cetera. uh i i that was not the case uh, i or i don't remember that being the case when i was uh, when i was growing up there mm. was the kids conversation there was the adults conversation um and you didn't no. Twain shall not meet. That's it. <laughs> There's a table there for kids to eat, and I remember that you know, kids' yeah. table. Whereas now, like the adults' table is where children are given the prominent place, and everybody's like, "Do you like your food? Yeah. Are you you gonna eat all that?" I, yeah. I mean, that's true, and interestingly, that's that culture of like let's call it infantocentrism actually comes out of the sort of late sixties and seventies, right? Mm. With the things like Sesame Street, which really puts. Our children at the center of in, uh, entertainment industry, yeah. and in a way, the horror films of this period, and horror novels too, are responding to the rise of the child, yeah. and and that's why you get yeah. evil children in so many of these movies. The you Omen, know, of course, of course, and the Children the of the Corn, yeah, yes, The Exorcist, yes. and in um, Amity will in the seventies Amity will horror, we have that too. So the little girl in the um, in the seventies version, mm -hmm. she is sort of sinister when she says to her parents, so so. Um, you know, uh, for folks who haven't seen or uh, either movie or read the book, um, basically the haunting, the our sense that this really, you know, uh, uh, valuable, um, you know, um, uh, opportunity of of a house could be haunted begins very very early on, as yes. soon as the couple move in. Um, the first time that it's demonic. Um, quality is registered is by a priest who goes yeah. to bless the house yeah. and and he's a he's an important character we'll come back to him because he's also a controversial figure in the whole you know narrative um but the second time we really get a sense that this house is haunted is when the little girl says i've been talking i've got an imaginary friend mm -hmm. sure you know it's what children do apparently did you have an imaginary friend, by the way, Jason? No, I did not. Hmm. Neither did I, and I sort of wonder, you know, <laughs> if, it's as, if it's as normal as all that. Yeah, maybe we missed out on something. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I guess my imaginary friends dumped me, or I wasn't, I wasn't even cool enough that's, for an imaginary friend. That's bad friend. when your imaginary <laughs> friend dumps you. Like they leave you for the cooler kid. <laughs> <laughs> They've got um, three imaginary friends. You've got none. That's right. <laughs> um, anyway, it turns out that Jodie's in the 70s version has an imaginary friend. No, sorry, not Jodie. Her name is not Jodie. The friend's, uh, the imaginary friend's name is, is Jodie. That's right. The little Lutz girl says, I've got an imaginary friend to, to their mother, um, Kathy. And Kathy says, oh, you know, what's her name? What's your imaginary friend's name? And the girl says, it's Jodie. Yeah. Um, in the 2005 version, we mm -hmm. have the repetition of that motif with some major differences. The major difference being that in the 2005 version, we immediately see, courtesy of CGI, the imaginary friend, right. Jodie. And it is a hideously grotesque, zombie-like, spectral, undead girl. Yeah. Of the same age as our um, as the as the Lutz child, yes. Um, but of course, adults can't see can't see this Jody. That's right. Only only children. Uh, I I don't know what it is. Is it that children have not been, uh, you know, soiled by <laughs> by real life concerns <laughs> enough? Like the first bill you get, and th there goes your imaginary friends and your ability to see <laughs> anything else. Um, but the, yeah, the children are are uh, in tune with some other plane of being mm. Mm. Uh, and so mm. the daughter can see uh mm. jody and jody befriends uh the daughter yeah 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 and and, and jody in the in the first film and in the book is famously or infamously a pig okay yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so um in the book that um uh, the journalist jay anson writes after the Lot's family had ran away from their um, property from the, yes and they sell their story to the media and at this point, the journalist Jay Anson comes in to simply record the facts and sit down and listen listen to this couple's true life story and write down what they say. Uh, so the book has the appearance and the aesthetics of a nonfiction reportage book, right. which is, I think, the main reason that it becomes so insanely successful because yeah. it is not written like a novel and it is written like a fairly banal work of nonfiction, which simply yeah. reports. Mm -hmm. And this and that day, at this and that time, Kathy in the kitchen smelled a perfume. Yeah. She later on claims that she could recognize the perfume, but she's not sure where she had, you know, scented it before. Yeah. That style of writing is so objective and banal mm. that it even, that makes it all the more believable, right? It, it looks like something like, you know, it has the power of uh, of say a fan footage horror movie today. That's what I was gonna say. It suspends it the disbelief. Reminds know? me of like a you know, a kind of doing what uh, what Blair Witch, you know, project did. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, with with found footage and and what else? Uh, what was what was the other really popular one? Um, paranormal, paranormal activity. activity. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's 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 interesting that um, then over the course of like the very long life of the Amityville uh, franchise, by the time we get to two thousand and five, that sort of fan footage, uh, real life aesthetic is completely gone. Yeah, and now they're going full, very operatic, very over the top CGI heavy horror show. Did Did you feel that it was very CGI heavy? I mean, we we do have the. Uh, we have Jody showing up as, as you mentioned, kind of a. Uh, she's got a zombie-like appearance. Mm -hmm. I guess we need to be able to tell the living from the dead. Um, 
And we've got, uh, what else have we got? Have we got uh, a CGI sort of demon-like appearing in the 2005 version? In the in the original version, um, we saw just eyes, right? Yes. And we didn't know if those were cat's eyes or, or if they were, you know, the eyes of a demon or, or whose eyes yes. they were. Yes. Um, yes. You know, two glowing orbs in 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 the uh in the middle of the the night yes. uh, well, well and and they are jody the pig's um um eyes um missy the little girl of the lutz family mm-hmm. um actually drew a picture of jody the pig which was published in the book i don't know if you i haven't seen uh, yeah. okay all right Sorry. here we go so i'm there looking at a i'm looking at a picture of jody the pig yeah uh Okay, and and apparently this is uh, Jody the pig running through the snow. The picture looks like something a child might draw, but I don't know. To me, it looks more like something that an adult would imagine a child <laughs> would draw. You don't, you don't say. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I detect a hint, hint of uh, skepticism uh, you know, and, and I think that's something else, too, we need to I guess talk about but um yeah special effects and horror I think you can definitely comparing the two movies you can see how um the effect of the horror genre changes over time mm. and it's almost as if by the time we get to the 21st century if it's become a bit desensitized to the special effects to the special effects horror. and the things that could have been spooky in the 70s now require a lot more color yeah sound yeah. maybe uh, that, that said, at the time when the movie in the 79 came out, a lot of film critics were disliked it because they said there is nothing scary here. It's too subtle. Mm. Uh, it's mm. it's not it doesn't have, you know, uh, the, 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 you know, the pyrotechnics of the exorcist or yeah. the shining and things like that. I mean, but the, the, the subtlety is one of the things that I enjoy. Mm. Like in the in, in the 79 version, there is this mm. scene where uh, where Margot. Kidder, um, she walks into uh, the room to, to check on the daughter, and uh, there's a a so she's she's essentially talking to Jody, mm. um, and as Margot Kidder comes walking into the room, um, we see that the rocking chair sitting across from her daughter has just stopped rocking. Mm. So Jody was actually there. Yes. Um and it it's it's those kinds of subtleties that I thought, oh okay, that's actually very well done. Mm. You know. Um the child can see the truth of what's happening and the adults cannot. Um and we've we've just seen it shift from the child's perspective to the adult's perspective. I, I mean, to a certain extent, I feel like uh, both of these films could be called uh, potentially, uh, you know, like gaslighting. <laughs> like you could name the, the film <laughs> gaslighting um, because there are all of these scenes where someone is trying to convince someone else that they have not seen what they have seen. And no one listens. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I thought that was a quality that ran across both of the, both of the films. 
definitely and and that that that's one of the great uh, gothic tropes isn't it that that somebody thinks they're going mad but they're not they're actually seeing you know ghosts in the house yeah. but when they relate this story other people convince them that no it's there's no ghosts in the house you're just losing losing the plot yeah um well but even the priesthood does this in the original film yes right? yes um so the 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 priest who goes to the lutz's house and and experiences the get out that we talk about <laughs> um you know the priest went there and had a definite experience right any anyone you know the it happens with the priest it happens with uh with margot kidder's it was her sister right who's a nun hmm, hmm. well that could be confusing um so she comes to the house and well the priest comes to the house and um you know the house is is like you know get out uh and he, he runs out gets to the car and just starts retching mm. same thing happens to the nun you know she comes over and she's like oh my goodness i gotta get out of here i really do not feel feel well mm. and she gets to the car and she starts retching and the priest uh, tries to tell the the church, the higher ups, that um, you know, hey, there's some stuff happening here, and I'm really adamant about doing something about it. The higher ups are like, we think you're tired. Why don't you take a vacation? Right? <laughs> it's 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 sort of like, I mean, the church, the church here function functioning like every other large institution right? right so the employee tells the higher-ups exactly what the issue is here is the issue here's why this is happening here's what we need to do to solve it and the higher-ups brush them off and then gaslight as if there's something wrong with the employee right that's that's what we see here um and it's very interesting to see it happen within a faith-based institution Mm. Uh, exactly and a faith-based institution whose job it is to protect people from, well you would think from, from satan or you would demonic think. entities that's right um the, the priest is very interesting and um to me one of the most memorable things about the um 1979 film is the portrayal of the priest by the then very famous actor mm. rod steger yeah who overacts in such a I don't you pick your adjective amazing or amazingly bizarre <laughs> way. I mean, yeah. it's incredible watching yeah. this guy just completely explode with yeah. rage and hyperbole. And then he starts crying. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I wonder if this was really a Steiger himself deciding to bring that element to the film mm. or if it was something that the um, director felt that was necessary. But it's just really over the top. And... Yeah. and um, and um you, you know the, the 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 clergy play a really big part in the horror films of this period don't they um like you know you've got the exorcist obviously was about a priest mm -hmm. and, and, and and you know all the priests in um in the omen and one of the weirdest things about all of this is that the preface to the um first edition of amateur horror is actually written by a priest okay yeah and it's it's one of the weirdest things i've ever read which is a, a priest called um, Reverend John Nicola actually praises science. And John Nicola says, look, religion and science are not at war. I mean, it's interesting, right? right he's got a Tesla-ish name there, right? <laughs> Nicola goes well with the 
right right exactly the appreciation of science i suppose yeah true true and it's a weird introduction for for the amateur will horror to have this essay which it it, it would seem like it has nothing to do with the story of a haunted house but this mm. this priest says look before anything else let me tell you science and religion are not at war or if they are they can stop fighting each other because they have a common enemy and that's called superstition mm. yeah Religion tries to tell people who think they're haunted or they're, you know, possessed that, no, you're not. You are been dabbling with things you should not have been playing with, like Ouija boards. Or maybe you've been, you know, I mean, this is the 70s, right? So things even like yoga lessons are viewed suspiciously right, by right. religious institutions because they're yes. dodgy. And the idea is that you could unknowingly, innocently... Um, gravitate towards Satan. So your downward dog has opened the gates of, you know, of hell. <laughs> That's essentially what we're learning. Just, well, exactly, exactly. Um, and and therefore, the church's um, job is to rescue these deluded people, <laughs> these deluded uh, yoga masters, and tell them, look, you're, you, you, just, you just shouldn't be doing that. And if you just come back to the church, it's all going to be okay. We don't right. we don't need to fight a great, you know, um, cosmic battle against Satan just over the fact that you have been, uh, you know, straying and, and playing around with New Ageism. Yeah. And in this way, religion and science are both in it together because science too should reject this sorts of, you know, um, superstition irrational superstition. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, and I'm not sure if I'm convinced by that argument. Yeah. Um, this attempt to sort of like, um, in a way, modernized uh, priesthood and put the priest and scientist together and say that in the figure of the priest trying to help this family um, survive their hellish experience in a haunted house, mm -hmm. the priest is actually like a doctor or like a scientist. Well, they make him into a, he's a, he's a psych, Psychiatrist, isn't he? By yes. training, yes. Uh, so you know, they they call his training uh, secular mm. training, right? Um, and the 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 priests, <laughs> essentially his bosses. It's hard to. It's weird to think that it, within the priesthood, there you know you have bosses and and underlings, but uh, yeah, it, they. Uh, they criticize him because uh, they get the sense, you know, they you know, they say, who do you think you are? You know, your secular training doesn't give you, doesn't make you any better than we are, right? We think you need a vacation. <laughs> uh, turn in your collar for yeah. now, right? Um, but, I mean, yeah, they, they there's a, there's an acknowledgement that, that science is a thing, right? And and it 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 also plays with that idea that, um, you know, those ideas that uh, uh, that were prevalent when uh, the mind was was or or things that dealt with the mind were being turned into uh, a a science, right? Yes. Yes. Um. Yeah. We we definitely see that happening here. Um, I, I think the what I found frustrating about that part hmm. of the film was that had he kind of just not yelled 
free, you know. <laughs> this family needs this. No, it really is over the top. Oh, it is. You got to, I mean, if you are interested in Rod Stoger's overacting, he, I think at this in the same time, maybe even same year, he made a, um, a historical movie mm. about Napoleon called Waterloo, and he plays Napoleon in the exact same register. Oh, goodness. It is just unwatchable. Uh, but but it's it's very interesting. The casting I think is interesting too because he often plays villains. Rod Steger mm, at this point, yeah. You know, he famously played Al Capone and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, you so, can you can see him as Al Capone. Yeah, but uh, I it, when he's doing all of that, you know, and I, I just I was just sitting there going, dude, why don't you just kind of calm down <laughs> and ask them to make time to come to the house with you? Mm. Like, you know, that would shut them up. They'd have to spend 20 minutes of their day. They can come to the house. They can have flies come out of their mouth or whatever. <laughs> they can have the house say, you know, get uh, out or, you know, would you like a coffee or whatever. <laughs> whatever. Maybe the house doesn't yes. about face, you know, when there are other people around. Um, and, and then that would have been it. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, although the house... The house is really an instigator, um, mm. in in the the seventy nine version, right? right? You remember right. the the scene where where Margot Kidder, so it's her, I think it's her brother, is there, right? Yes, the guy who's about to get married. Mm. Yes, yeah, no. and and he's got he's kind of, uh, he he he's a bit worried, um, you know, in in a kind of compulsive way about. Fifteen hundred dollars, right? Fifteen hundred dollars in nineteen seventy nine. I mean, it's a lot of money. Mm. You do a lot with fifteen hundred dollars. This fifteen hundred dollars that he's he's supposed to use to pay the caterer, and we see him counted. We see him put it in his jacket pocket, and the jacket is lying on the sofa. And then, just before they leave the room, somehow that fifteen hundred dollars is missing. It goes missing from his pocket, and he's just freaking out as you would. Right, mm. so the house is playing games. Yes. The house, as they say, you know, in Las Vegas, the house always wins. <laughs> this is kind of like that. The house yes, has taken yes. the money, right? Yes, that's right. Um, and it creates this, <laughs> just this, uh, this tension with, uh, with, with George Lutz, uh, because you know he's now going to write a check and the caterer is like no i don't take checks because checks can be canceled blah 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 and then george lutz he's he's having a bad night you know how when you're having one of those bad days you can turn into an asshole um uh, not, not me <laughs> never <laughs> okay everyone but ollie everyone but ollie um so george lutz is later in the middle of the night he's kind of on a rampage um and he goes downstairs and looks under the sofa and finds the the rapper for the money, right? Yes. Um, and he, he he just snaps. He's like, "Where is it?" It's like, "Whoa, this house is really, really playing with people's heads." Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, there could be a more banal explanation for this, and in fact, for everything else that happens, mm-hmm. which is that, um, well, maybe George took the money. So it, the the way it's staged in the film is interesting because in the film it shows that there could have been no time for anybody else including George, to actually go in there and steal the money out of the guy's pocket. Mm -hmm. But in the book, there is actually a a time gap between where the jacket is left in Mm -hmm. in the living room. People go out... Possibly George has some time to himself in mm-hmm. that 
and then he then the money disappears and 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 frankly let's be honest i mean the guy's struggling to pay the mortgage yeah his his business is not going very well he's um he's the typical sort of like um entrepreneurial middle class person of yeah. the period yeah. you know this is this is a time when reagan is about to come in and the, the promise is that you know if you want to move up in the world if you want to stop being uh, you know wage earner start your own business yeah. and it seems yeah. like that's what he does he's a surveyor right that's right he started his own construction company one gets the impression that beforehand himself was probably a construction worker but he mm-hmm. decides that now i've got what it takes importantly one of the reasons they buy this house is because they can use one of the spare rooms as george's workspace workspace yeah which at the time is considered to be a real status symbol like today especially during and after covid we I don't think we romanticize the idea of working from home anymore. <laughs> no, no. Um, but I think back then, and I've, I've noticed that in some other um, haunted house novels, actually, which is, is a sign of status. Yeah. If you get to a point where you can have a home office and you say, this is, I yeah. work from here. You've made it. You've made it. And this is exactly what George wants to do. So there's a lot of class anxiety and anxiety about the success of his, mm-hmm. his, his business. Um, and it seems to me that there is a very strong chance that perhaps he took the money. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess Kathy wouldn't have done it. Um, and we didn't, there was no moment for her to do it in the film. But it, it, in terms of, uh, of of motive, yeah, you're right. George would have had all the reason. And he stopped the check, right? The check, or he didn't have uh, any money. Mm. Uh, he didn't have enough money for the check to clear. Exactly. So I mean, the business is doing really badly, and and I think I say this. Um, I guess I say that now because I know he won't be suing me. Um, <laughs> George George Lutz became very. Um, uh, what's the word I want to say? Uh, legally uh, active. I think after the book came out, like oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he 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 continued to sue people. Basically, right. everybody left, right, and center. Especially like about the money that was made by the film. He said I didn't get enough from it. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. When he died, he was suing the makers of the two thousand and five film. Okay. Because of yeah. the way he'd been portrayed by Ronald, Ryan Reynolds, I think Which, I would sue them too if he played me. I would say. Well, I don't know. Like <laughs> like you know, uh, we were talking about this earlier, and I said essentially, um, you know. Ryan Reynolds' abs are playing the role <laughs> of James Rowland's hair. Yes. <laughs> right? Great masculine signs of beauty and power. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you, 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 you know, if, if, yeah. if Ryan Reynolds is portraying you in that way, then you, 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 I think you got to take the good with the bad. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, yeah. The the the, ca- the casting is very interesting, isn't it? Um, and and of course, James Brolin. I think he was a big big name in the seventies. Yeah. I always think of uh, Chris Christopherson for some reason when mm. I see him. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I cause I was I was thinking and the Amityville Horror starring Chris Christopherson. That doesn't seem right. No, he could have done a song for it too. <laughs> um, look, he's. Good. Do, do you think? Like, I think James Brolin is actually very good. And I, he's excellent in the film. He yeah. he does a very good job. A lot depends on him. So I think the f- yeah. I think the first movie is really his film. Yeah. Whereas I feel like the 2005 film is more about the children than about I I him think or you're Kathy. Right. I think you're right. Yeah. The the um, I I also thought that the the George uh, Lutz character in the first film was a much more um. Even keeled character, uh, 
we had moments where we saw mo- we see moments where we know that something's wrong with him but we don't necessarily get the sense that he is being completely taken by uh the house right uh you know at, at the end of the film he has to run back into the house to get the dog which is something right mm. like uh, i don't know would you go would after you, the dog <laughs> i was about to ask you that um look i'm not a dog person anyway would i do that for my cats probably yeah uh, but yes, the cat's probably already gone <laughs> or oh, the cat is the source of evil yeah, well yeah yeah <laughs> we're running away from the cat <laughs> yeah um well w- which is true in in the 1979 film there right? is the, an evil the, cat. there is a, yes. a black cat perhaps not evil it's just a black cat in the window <laughs> sorry kind of hissing um and yes. and and we kind of read that as a sign that something is 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 wrong mm-hmm. um the george Lowe's as as played by ryan reynolds is much more seems much more prone to um being overtaken completely by the whims of the house and and Jeremiah Ketchum as he yes. was named in 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 that film like we, as the Ryan Reynolds character uh become becomes consumed by the house we see his eyes grow blacker and and you know mm-hmm. increasingly right black yep um which is yeah you know, this very clear visual sign that he is not himself and we know he is he's absolutely murderous right he's got a shotgun you know and then the next moment he's got an axe um he falls off the roof of the house and the house you know, wakes him up like hey get up bro you still got work to do um and he goes after the family right mm. and they actually have to uh incapacitate him mm. and drag him away from the house uh, in order for for that possession to to no longer take hold, so yeah. I feel like those are two very different characters. Oh, totally, each of the films, and and I wonder if that says, tells us something about like our changing perception of, um, you know, for lack of a better word, masculinity. Mm-hmm. Like in the seventies, it 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 may not have been as easy to believe that a guy could just snap and massacre his family. Mm. Whereas it seems like in 2005, that's taken for granted. Yeah, That's yeah, what maybe. men do. They just lose it and kill everyone around them. I mean, all of this, uh, it's supposed to reference the actual crime, right? <clears throat> Which is about a guy called you know, Ron uh, DeFeo, who lives in that same house, 118 Ocean Drive, and he slaughters his family. Um, his his parents and his his four siblings and both films start out with that they uh, do they yeah. they really try to situate it so that's I guess another origin story mm-hmm. um, I mean it's it's very interesting and and you know you probably already know this and people listening to this um, podcast may already know this but um, the the fact that the lawyer representing Ron DeFeo tries to you know go for insanity. That yeah. doesn't seem to really work because, mm-hmm. like, he probably had intent, right, uh, to to be able to systematically kill, you know, um, six people, and therefore he then kind of decides to go for the supernatural explanation right. and say, yeah. "What if the house made him do it?" Yeah. Now, how do you prove that if you actually have the evidence of the next family living in the house yeah. also? Um, being possessed by a murderous specter that tries to get the man of the house mm-hmm. to slaughter his family. 
And that lawyer happens to be the same guy who ends up convincing the Lutzes to tell their story to the media. Yeah. So there is that sort of connection too. And I guess at some point sooner or later, for better or for worse, we're going to have to talk about it and Lorraine Warren. Because mm. then they come yeah. into the story too and they will try to add credence to the notion that the devil or could make people commit crimes and that you can actually use this in a legitimate court of law as defense. Well, uh, we'll do this uh, mm. when we talk about The Conjuring, I suppose. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, 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 and they sort of... Um, enter this story in a very a story of Amityville house in a very bizarre way it almost mm. seems like when official clergy including the real life priest who was involved he decides to distance himself from the story once the book comes out he yeah. actually renounces a lot of what the book says he says I never set foot into, in the house mm-hmm. um, then we have these other kind of characters come in and they're also these weird liminal figures between science and religion if that's what they are yeah. and it's of and, and Ed and Lorraine decide to give full credence to the narrative. They said that we went to the house, and yes, the house has a demonic uh, presence. Yeah. And, and this is one of their crew that t- who takes the famous photo, which shows a child with demonic eyes, right. which is used as the, as the material proof that, yes, this house is possessed. Yeah, there's another uh, interesting topic for us, yeah, this use of photography as mm, mm. something that is supposed to uh, serve as evidence uh, for, for hauntings and, and uh, the extreme measures that uh, characters in films go through in order to uh, develop the, the equipment that can pick up uh, you know, all sorts of spectral mm, um, mm. energies. Mm. Uh, I think we... Maybe again, poltergeist is something that's yes. well known for that. Yeah. Um, at the same time, hmm. I mean, there are some key words where, when the film does try to provide you with some kind of explanation, right? In the nineteen seventy nine film, I don't think we get much of that, um, as one would expect uh, for a film that's based on a tragedy uh, or, or on the idea that, that something tragic happened at a house in the past. We fully expect at least one of the characters to go to a library or something, right? Mm. That happens in the 2005 version. In the 1979 version, it's, it's kind of like a newsroom, right? Yes. And there's microfiche involved. And what we learned in the original was that, so this character Ketchum, uh, was run out of Salem, right? So we've got witchcraft here as well, uh, having been accused of being a witch. And it, it, it's a house of, of devil worship, death, and sacrifice. Those are the, the words that are used. Um, and there's this idea put forward uh, that energy can never be gotten rid of, right? It, it can only change forms. And, and that's why this house just continues to be to be haunted. We also have this sort of in passing, it's kind of like, oh yeah, and a tribe left uh, all of these people with, uh, with you know, questionable histories and 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 all sorts of uh, you know, all sorts of issues on the land of the house to die. Yeah, that also happened. Uh, yeah, moving forward, you know, it was kind <laughs> of like that. Uh, whereas, uh, I feel like the two thousand five film tried to give you a little bit more um to 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 sink your teeth into probably poor choice of words um so we we get a 
a dual course of discovery happening in the 2005 version. So we get Kathy Lutz. She's at the library, of course, and discovers that uh, that Reverend, right, it's Reverend mm. Jeremiah Ketchum, um, who lived from 1665 to 1691, uh, built the main portion of the house as a mission for the indigenous population. So she also discovers that Ketchum slaughtered everyone at that mission. Right. Um, and while she is off discovering this, George Lutz uh, is at the house taking a, a sledgehammer to a cinder block wall that hides the entrance to, not to the gates of hell, but to the cells in which uh, Ketchum held and, and tortured, uh, you know, his, the people that he <laughs> welcomed mm. to the sanctuary. Mm. Um, and then the lake behind the house is, you know, it's another reason this is this ridiculous property, right? It's got a lake attached to it. The lake behind the house served as the final resting place of many of the people uh, who came across Ketchum and, and whom Ketchum tortured. So, um, and Ketchum himself seems to have died in the basement of the house. And when we're, when we're looking at that, that kind of montage um, as Kathy discovers what actually happened, you know, shows you the book and we've got keywords showing up. We've got Salem. Oh, right. Um, all of this is happening in the 2005 version. So we, we do get kind of a better sense as to what's happening um, and, and why it's happening. Um, but I might say that ultimately, uh, perhaps across both of the films, um, they they seem to be about about the the bones of the house. If you were to say that a house had bones, right? There is that expression. Yes. Right? This is that expression taken literally. Um. So, you know that expression that uh, about the bones of the house. It's it's I guess it's it's used when we want to say that a house seems to be standing on a strong foundation or is made of uh, long-lasting materials, right? This house isn't going to give you any trouble. It's got strong bones. It's got a strong mm. core, right? Um, it's a house that the wolf won't easily blow down. Um, but it leaves us with this question of, but what happens when the bones of the house are evil, I guess? Mm. Or what happens when the house is built atop actual bones? Then we're left with kind of a, a, a different uh, a different situation altogether. And it leads us to this idea that we have a house that does what it does, right? It's, it's the entire thing, the entire house, the estate was built on murder. And murder is what the engine is tuned for. Mm. And thus, murder is what it will do. That is the dream that the house was built on. And this kind of begins to collide with that idea of the American dream. Right? Because that's mm. what they are living. Mm. That's what they are pursuing. Right? Um, this, this, uh, this wonderful house, a uh, step up in the world, as you, as you mentioned, this, um, the class issues that are there, right? Mm. Trying to become solidly, uh, perhaps upper middle class, mm. right? having your home office. What does it take to do all of that? Mm. Right? What is it that you build all of that on? And is it, do you have any sort of responsibility if you're building that 
atop of, you know, atop uh, <laughs> literal bones. Mm. Mm. Yep. Yep. I, I mean, when, when you put it like that, I, I think it's very, very compelling. Right. And I think, um, you know, something else that happens between the release of the first film and the second one is that like post-colonial theory happens. Mm. Right. And you can definitely see that in the second film, there is a real awareness of the issues that, you know, the first film and the first book's very um, casual and dodgy referencing to an Indian burial ground. Right. In the second one, it's really fleshed out and yeah. it's kind of given a kind of a historical um, historical uh, condition. Um, I, I guess my problem with that is that the film, and I, I can't really um, get rid of this problem, and maybe mm-hmm. it's a me problem, but the film and the book and all of them continue to insist that they are based on a true story. Well, and and, and you know, to, to, I mean, for yeah. me, it's very difficult to kind of disentangle them from this um, a, a, a formal claim, which is to do it with the claim of this form of this novel and the movies that they say they are yeah. real people, real lotses, yeah. because over time they actually become very invested about how they are presented in these films. Uh, I mean, you know, when the children yeah. grow up, they start having real issues with the way they're being portrayed. Right. And, and, and I think one of the, uh, the, the oldest Lutz boy, who's uh, shown in 2005 movie is Billy, mm. well, he saw himself being shown on the screen and he was disgusted. He said, I mean, this is repulsive. I would, you know, the way he's shown as this sort of like, well, all the stuff we said about, you know, his, his sexual... Um, attraction to the babysitter and all of that he just he just didn't want to be shown in such a way you know yeah so i i find it um i i guess i'm i'm really trying to um you know see how we can think about this book and the movies as works of what we might call quote-unquote creative non-fiction yeah. or something like that because part of the claim to authenticity and their effectiveness is that they are based on something that is real. And the house, incidentally, still exists. Um, the current owners have changed the street number yeah. to, to 108 Ocean Drive to get to sort of dissuade all the you know dark tourists to go there. Oh, and yeah. I think they've even changed the front. They've got rid of the eye windows. Well, yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that is the advertisement right yeah. there, right? Yeah. But, but you know, it's, it's a real thing. And I, I guess that's, that both, both fascinates me, but also frustrates me. Mm. And I, I, part of me thinks, well, the issues of, say, colonial violence and, and exactly the things you said about American Dream, how in a very uh, sinister way it could be a continuation of earlier forms of violence and so on. Um, I, I feel like, well, do they stack up against the claims that this, this house would literally have to be yeah. built in such a place, which it turns out... It wasn't that, you know, the like you say, for example, the real life Ketchum was not a reverend. He was a quote unquote colonel and he wasn't even really general. He was it was a sort of honorific title that was given to him. Right. And all that kind of that kind of stuff. And it turns out he probably didn't even live there and all that sort of thing. Yeah. I, I don't know. Am I being am I being too precious about facts here? Oh, to tell me off if you. Yes. If you want. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, OK, so my thing is that whenever I see. Uh, based on true events or based on a true story you know i i you see that come up before films like the texas chainsaw massacre or something like psycho you know uh and and you're you're just like no Hmm. like uh, okay maybe 0.3 percent of this is based on something that actually happened and then the rest of it is is fictional that's that's just how I look at it. As soon as I see based on true events, I'm like, mm, 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Yeah. Um, so I don't have those expectations for mm. there to be any adherence to actual events. And, and could, could, you know, is it realistic for us to have that expectation mm. uh, for a work that deals so much in, um, you know, something that, mm. that uh, we, we cannot see right yeah, uh yeah. In, in something that is is extraordinarily difficult to 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 verify mm. um mm. So, and, and i think that having that expectation um means that you won't be anything but disappointed yes uh and so i i start out without that expectation i guess mm. yeah we should uh, we should <laughs> just make a list of films, horror films that are supposed to be based on a true, true story. True. Right? Yeah. I actually forgot that um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is supposed to be based, based on a true story. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sure we'll talk about the whole you know Ed Gein case and how that's supposedly inspired you know Psycho and Texas yeah. Chainsaw Massacre in due course. But you're you're right, and I kind of feel like listening to you. I think oh, I'm just being too naive. Of course, of course, this is a bit of a marketing <laughs> gimmick, and. So um, I I I I agree with you, um, but I also want to say, in, I guess now something uh, positive about uh, this franchise mm-hmm. is that it's supposed bases in real life, and the fact that there really was a you know Don Ron DeFeo who slaughtered his family, he he actually died in prison only last a couple of years ago, okay. so you know the yeah. fact that these people were real and you can watch them on YouTube and they're yeah. all giving interviews about their experiences of the Amityville house. And yes, you know, Ed and Lauren are also real or were, I think Ed Warren has died, but Lauren Warren's still around. Mm. So all of that is stuff there, the photograph is there. I, I guess in a way, I, I, I think that actually makes for a very compelling aesthetic mm-hmm. that I, th- I think the film and the book want to say, no, we're not just kind of opportunistically exploiting a very tenuous connection to facts, right. that this is really factual. And, 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 you know, this is what really is really kind of spooky to begin with. If, yeah. some, if somebody's telling you, look, this really happened to me. No, I'm not making this up. It actually happened. Yeah. And, and with that sort of conviction going forward, I think, I think that's, that makes for a very, very effective work. And, um, and I guess, and I guess, um, uh, you know, there, there could there could be there could be ethical questions about that, and and, and I think the family themselves um, do suffer some of the consequences of that. Yes, it's yeah. it would be interesting. I mean, I'm sure there's there's all these uh, documentaries and so on about the future of the Lutzes after this huge sensation um, of a book and the movie come out. Um, but but you know, I mean, I think that. In a real sense, they would have been haunted by the house much more after they left it. I mean, now mm. that the survivors of the family could never leave the house, they could never, I, I don't know, it would be difficult for them to think of themselves as anyone other than the residents of the Amityville house. That house? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I, <laughs> I wonder if, if, uh, to come to terms with, to gain a sense of peace, uh, you know, with, with the, Mm. the, that tension between fact and, you know, fiction. Mm. Maybe you need a sort of a Rumsfeldian. 
<laughs> mind right there are fact no, facts. Unknows. That's it. Yes, there are fact facts. There are yes. true facts. And then there are untrue facts. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and that's just something you have to deal with. Um, there's one scene um, that, that I would, uh, you know, perhaps like to, to <laughs> recount here and perhaps to, to end on. One of my favorite scenes in the uh, in the remake in, in the 2005 film. So it happens in the boathouse. So there's Kathy. She falls into the water while George is on the boat, right? And the, the motor of the boat is going and her hair gets dragged into the motor. Now this is, you know, it's kind of unbelievable, right? Her hair is strong enough to tangle the motor of the boat so the motor stops and then she gets out of it right he 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 somehow regains his uh his his normal mind for a second and he reverses the uh the direction of the the propeller and then upon getting out of the water kathy you know he he reaches down george reaches down and she slaps his hand away and kathy goes have you lost your mind And at that moment, I'm going, what movie have you been watching for the past 40 minutes? (laughs) Yes, he has lost his mind. It is obvious. And this kind of ruined the the, the end of the film for me because I just I took it as a joke uh, uh, from that point forward. Um, I think Ryan goes too crazy too quickly. He does. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I think uh, Ryan Reynolds does crazy quickly very well yeah 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 it's, it's, a, it's a much more fast-paced movie than than the first one and, and i think the the brolin's um the reason i it, i found it more effective is that he also does go pretty crazy i mean yeah he he goes mad like there's that scene in the in the in the pub when he punches out his friend which yes. is very over the top as well um um but I, I guess there could be, I mean, I'm just trying to th- imagine what could be the sort of logical explanation as opposed to a supernatural one for somebody just becoming so aggro and weird. And I guess maybe maybe it's depression. Okay. Maybe somebody yeah. could say, well, this is this is a guy who's struggling with his blended family, but paying the mortgage, his yeah. business is not going yeah. well. Yeah. That's what happens to especially men in that situation. They end up getting depressed. Well, and we see that happen mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, as the I forget the character's name, but it's it's the the friend um, of the business. Right. Who is guiding him through that. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's a is it strange kind of very unbelievable character. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who takes a punch and then gets up saying can we talk now yes yes yeah. yes um yeah and and then i guess in that way the the boathouse is like the man cave or something although mm. there's the basement too right i mean the whole movie could be interpreted as a story of a guy approaching his midlife crisis looking for his man cave and then he can't find it <laughs> he can't find it to start digging for it and then he finds the red room right yeah, yeah and yeah. that could be his man cave but then he feels guilty about it or yeah. something um, I mean that would be a very, um, I guess, psychoanalytic explanation. Uh, but that that's that in, that is interesting too. That the discovery of a room under the house. I mean, yes. I, I find that very fascinating. And always, yeah. whenever I move into a new house, I'm always 
you know, having watched so many horror movies, I'm always on the lookout for a space which I had not known about before moving in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wonder if uh, it was actually the red room that Danny was looking for in The Shining. Oh. No, Ali. Ali's taking me seriously. <laughs> no, okay. I mean, yeah. Red red room instead of red rum. No, oh. this is obviously not the case. Hang on. Yeah, Ali. Ah, oh, you oh, missed you that one. Me. That was a. <laughs> uh, that was. A, that but was maybe a, we're all looking for our red room. <laughs> maybe we are. Hmm. I'm sure we are. What's next on our uh, haunted house? What should we do next for our for our whatever haunted house story we look into? Hmm. Well, um, I, I, I think I think you know the haunting of Hale House is, is quite interesting. All right, um, and you know we've got the Mike Flanagan TV show we can we could have a look at, but the novel itself is pretty cool. Yes, yes. But but also if um, if people listening to this want us to go and find a haunted house here in Melbourne, we can go there and spend the night there, or do an episode of the podcast from there. <laughs> Or you could just make a suggestion as to what haunted house film you wouldn't mind us uh, oh, talking about. Oh, we could about. do that, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it, everyone, for uh, this week's episode. Thank you for joining us, as always. And we'll see you again next week. See you later. Bye.